0: As we were praying beforehand, um, Diane, I think it was, talked about we all come as broken people and probably for Helen and I that's been our journey over the last two, three years and maybe many of us have been in this place but we've kind of encountered those things where in one sense even as Farai is saying you you pull back the veil and you start to see yourself and you start to see what you're really like and you start to see... The brokenness that you carry and the mess of your lives. And we've had that, that kind of period. We've obviously all walked through COVID. But we had some additional things thrown at you. And it's been one of those times where life has done its thing. And you kind of can't always make head from tail as you try to work it out. We've had long-term assumptions of how life would work. Or what it should look like have been challenged. Or maybe even shown to be false. Expectations about the future haven't transpired. We've had job losses and processing of trauma within our family or significant job challenges at least. There's been confusion and to be honest, been through a bit of a period where I felt somewhat dry. You know those periods where you, as we sang in that, I love those words in Waymaker where it actually said, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're there, you're doing your thing. And it's been one of those times where You can't see always what God is doing and you don't know what he's doing and you go God would you just do something to change this situation to rescue this person to bring some hope into their life and you can't see it and somehow you walk this walk feeling well God I don't really know what's going on and into that process uh, I had a sabbatical that kicked in sort of towards the end of May or mid towards the end of May and Went on a bit of a journey with God, where right at the beginning of the sabbatical, uh, Andy Wright, who leads Hub Church in Basingstoke, had prayed for me that, from that Luke 24 that Pete just alluded to, where the disciples are on the road and don't know that it's Jesus in their midst, and when he comes into their house and breaks bread with them, they suddenly realise it's him and say, didn't our hearts burn as we walked with him on the road and he unpacked the scriptures? And he prayed for me that my heart would burn again. It wasn't burning in the way it had in the past. He prayed that my heart would burn again. I trust as we continue to live in Matthew 5, I heard from I, God through Farai saying, actually there are some of us whose hearts need to burn again. But actually it's, it, there are those who don't know Jesus that God wants to call in, but there's also those of us who have walked with him for many years that he wants to call back that he wants our hearts to burn again, that we're in the fold, as it were, but God's just calling us. So I trust if that's you this morning, you hear the voice of God. The first pretty good news as we go into Matthew 5 then, is that actually if you're in that place, this sermon is for you, this sermon is for me. It's not a sermon that I've got to somehow get in on through my own sense of achievement, But it's a sermon that invites us. It's given, isn't it, in the context of a kingdom message. An upside down kingdom. And the good news of this kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming already in Matthew is that acceptance and forgiveness is offered to everyone. The doors, as it were, have been flung wide open. The invitation goes out And he's saying the time to get right with God is now. If you want to receive this invitation, the proper response is one of repentance. But the kingdom itself is an offer. It's a gift given to you, to people like you and me who recognise our brokenness, recognise the mess in our lives. And yet willingly say, yeah, we want this gift. We're in good company as we listen to this sermon. It's given to a people who are gathering and being formed around Jesus. He's sat down at the top of this mountain. What does that look like to you? What do you think it looked like to Jewish people? Whose greatest prophet Moses sat up a mountain called Sinai and received a law from God that he then disseminated to the people. Do you think there's anything going on in their mind of, we've seen this before, we've heard of this before? Jesus may be looking like Moses, describing again a way to live with God. This is given at a time when God is visiting his people, establishing his rule again. And they've been longing for this day. They've been ruled, haven't they, by nations. They've not enjoyed the presence of God in the way they once did. They want the kingdom which they imagine is going to come by force. Deliverance from enemies. That they're going to end up, instead of being ruled by enemies, we're going to rule them. Well, many of them thought that. And the sermon comes in that context. Cutting across popular expectations. Describing what life in the kingdom of God really looks like. And we're called, aren't we, as followers of this Jesus, to look like kingdom people. When we receive the kingdom, everything changes. I get a new heart. The ability to look like one of God's people is a given. And the Sermon on the Mount describes how I will look as one who has entered the kingdom. It doesn't prescribe how one must be in order to enter the kingdom. It describes how one becomes when one has entered the kingdom. Gordon Fee, a hero of mine really, would say it's a get-to ethic, not a got-to ethic. The difference is vital. It's a get-to, I get to look like this. I haven't got to look like this in order to enter. Thank God. That's the good news. For someone like me whose life has not been going to plan, who experiences mess and confusion and spiritual dryness, God comes with the offer of a gift. And that offers to all of us the gift of a new heart. So today we look at the third of the Beatitudes. You've done blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Now blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In case you've lost it, you're around the feet of Jesus. Imagine yourself on that mountain. And he says to you, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're going to look at this verse in two parts. The first one, blessed are the meek. Blessing, as Carson says, it's to be approved of. Someone else, David Scare, says it's the condition or state of an individual who's been favourably accepted by God and has received his divine approval. As Hardner says in his commentary, it's the deep inner joy. Of those who have long awaited the salvation promised by God and who now begin to experience its fulfilment. It's a powerful word, this word blessed, as I'm sure you've looked at, but I want to remind you. This isn't just, have a good day. It's a bit more than that. It's favour, it's approval, it's deep satisfaction and joy. It's the experience of salvation already begun. Blessed are the meek. These are understood, aren't they, as the blessings of the kingdom, these beatitudes. Again, not something held out to achieve. But a gift, we don't earn it, we receive it. And each begins in the present tense. So here Jesus, having proclaimed the coming of the kingdom in and through his ministry, now says, you're blessed. Why? Because you've got your life in order? Because there's no mess, there's no confusion, there's no sense of what on earth is going on. No, you've responded to this Jesus and he says, you're blessed. You have a new heart. And this new heart is beginning to beat in your chest. As it does so, so you'll be changed. So what is meekness? What do you think of when you hear the word meekness? Weakness? A walkover? Something undesirable? An attribute that you seek after? Is this something you put on your CV? What characteristics do you bring to this job? A bit of meekness. (laughs) Imagine John Braithwaite putting a requirement for a job application in his company. Meekness. Carry that sense in our era than it did in this era. Thomas Aquinas describes uh, meekness as gentleness that restrains us from anger or from expressing our anger easily. Who's failed at that? I think I might have failed at that this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, he says, yeah, maybe even this morning. No. My wife's away, so I couldn't fail at that this morning with her, could I? (laughs) Blessed are the meek. In our scriptures it's translated in this way, gentle, (coughs) humble, considerate, or meek. So as we're gathered around Jesus hearing this sermon, let's look at him. What does he show us about meekness? These sayings, this sermon are not abstract philosophical ideals. But they're rooted in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. This sermon, this Christianity is not just a philosophy. Compared to any other philosophy. This is about a person and this sermon is rooted in the Humanity, the earthy, the lived out stuff in someone's life, the person of Jesus Christ, whom we follow and whom by the power of the Spirit we're being made to resemble. These Sayings, I would argue just like the Old Testament that Moses received up Mount Sinai. That that came to the people. Describe something of the character of God. Here for us in the sermon. The character revealed in Jesus. So let's have a look at him. In Matthew 11 Jesus says this in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle. It's that word meekness in there. And humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you know as I was, well, I was actually chatting with Chris, Chris Thackeray who leads one of our related churches in London this week. And he's reading a book and he said, do you know that's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus describes his heart? I didn't know that. You kind of think if that's the only place he describes his heart, it's worth paying attention to. And the heart, as one person says, is the central animating centre of all we do. This isn't just some wishy-washy, lovey-dovey thing we put in the card. I love you with all my heart. No, this is the driving force, the characteristic, the, center, the, the, the central, if you like, animating part of a person's life in their day. That's how they understood the heart, that the will would come out of the heart. This is powerful stuff. And Jesus is saying, his heart is meek. His heart, his driving center, the whole thing that moves him. And so, in one sense, as we read of Jesus' heart, we get a window in on the essence of who Jesus is meekness. It's almost like as he approaches someone, you know, you touch people sometimes and, and you just touch the same thing over and over again. There are those people, aren't there, who sometimes. However much you try to talk about them, they won't let you talk about them. They talk about you. (laughs) Have you met those people? And they're so warm and inviting and just want to see how you are and care for you. And you can't get away from it. It's like you're touching something of who they are. Here as we touch the essence of Jesus, it's almost like he can't help himself but be meek. Be gentle, be humble, be thinking of the other. It's his essence. We can't get away from it. And this gift of rest in Matthew 11. Comes from the meek gentle. The humble Jesus to the weary. Yeah? Me. You. If you're in that place. The gift that encompasses Makes room for my brokenness, my fallenness, my weariness. Not a transaction, if you do this then I will, but meekness that welcomes me, offers me what I need, makes room for me. Matthew 21, verse 5, another picture of Jesus here. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It comes from, it's quoting Zechariah chapter 9. And in Zechariah chapter 9 we have judgment on the enemies of Israel going on. And right in the middle in Verse 9 of chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In that chapter, we see that peace will be proclaimed. Rulership will be established. Prisoners will be set free. Restoration will occur all through the meek one who comes on a donkey. This meekness of Jesus then is not weakness. It's incredibly strong. It's courageous. It's self-giving. It's sacrificial. It doesn't come like the world might in might and power, conquering by force. But Jesus arrived at the great city of Jerusalem in Matthew 21, what? On a donkey. If anyone deserved to arrive at the great city with the pomp and ceremony that we saw just a few weeks ago, he did. Mm. And yet he doesn't come on the great stallion or with the chariots, but he comes on this humble donkey. And against the backdrop Of their kingdom expectations where they expected him to sound the trumpet as it were and call them to force to overthrow this invading army of the Romans. He comes on a donkey. Not establishing his kingdom by force. But salvation coming without war, without force. And ultimately, of course, meekness is shown in Jesus' going to the cross itself, in which we see Jesus, the one who is in total and complete control. Remember, right back in his temptation, if you just sounded the shout surely, the angels of God, would come and rescue you. The one who could have said in his garden of Gethsemane, Father, I don't want to go this way, I'm not going to go this way. The one who could have uh, stepped off that cross whenever he wanted, but says, my life isn't taken from me, I give my life. This one who's in complete control, submits himself willingly to the Father, takes on the suffering inflicted by people, knowing his life is in God's hands, and there is a greater purpose. We see trust, we see yielding, we see humility, we see reliance. For me we sing, (laughs) even though I don't see it, you're working. So weakness meekness, sorry, is not being the doormat. It's not lacking courage. Meekness is not weakness as some have said. It's an incredibly powerful thing. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This inheritance of the earth part of this verse comes from Psalm 37. And in this psalm, at least five times, it talks about those who inherit. Those who hope in God will inherit the land. The meek, which is our verse, will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Those the Lord blesses. Will inherit the land. He goes on in verse 34 those who keep God's way are those who will inherit. The righteous in verse 29 are those who will inherit. These are the meek. And in this psalm, they are contrasted with the wicked who advance themselves at the expense of their neighbour. The wicked who acquire for themselves and don't give concern to the other. They're focused on their own progress, their own acquisition, rather than thinking about others. Those who are meek, the psalmist says, are those who will inherit the earth. And what is it that they're going to inherit? What does it mean when it says that? What does it mean in in Matthew when it talks in that way? There are a number of ways we can consider this verse. For Israel, the earth was at least... Their own land, the promised land. They had ended up in exile, had not they? We know that. And yet the remnant who came back to this land that God had originally given them became a bit of a political football between nations that would rule over them from time to time. One nation now, another nation another time. In Jesus' day, the Romans. So to inherit the earth... The meek will inherit the earth. Could have been heard by them as getting their land back. Land understood, as I say, as a gift from God. Land understood as the place where God's rulership and reign would be seen. So maybe they were hearing that. But what about with the coming of Christ? Something goes on when Christ comes. That maybe changes the perspective of what that land is. In many ways you could say the geographic aspect of the land disappears. Or at least it changes. Maybe you could say that the land of Israel becomes the whole earth. That ultimately that's the inheritance of God's people. And you know what? Maybe we shouldn't move too quickly away from that. We live, don't we, as believers who are expecting a new heaven and new earth and we're expecting to dwell in that new earth now with Jesus in the midst as the light and the source and his presence there and we expect to be ruling with him in that new earth. So there is something about God still having a heart for this place, renewed, re-enlivened, heaven and earth coming together that does speak about the whole earth being the dwelling place of God. And so maybe we shouldn't. Rush too too quickly away from that. But what about in Christ himself? If the land is the place where God's rule and will is exercised. Where we see, what does it mean when God rules? What does it mean when God's ways are lived out? When we see that more than any other place. Down, not in Palestine. We don't see it across the earth in the way we want to. Certainly not in their day and not in ours. One day we hope to. But in this day, they see it in Jesus. There's somehow something of what the land was about as a place to show people what does it mean to live in God's ways. Now here is one person who expertly, perfectly demonstrates what the ways of God look like. What the rule and reign of God looks like in his life. Can you see that that thing of the land is, is, is coming down to focus on the person of Christ? That God always wanted to give them a land... Where he would dwell and his rule would be seen. And they blow it and go into exile. And even when they come back it's not as it was. But now he's one person in whom the rule and reign of God is seen. All those attributes of the land if you like seen in Christ. But where does it go from there? Christ in his resurrection starts to have that foretaste. He inherits the resurrection body. A body that we will also inherit when we are raised with him, when Jesus comes to wrap everything up. And so there's something, even for Jesus, that there's a, he's experienced it, we look forward to it, of an inheritance that comes through his resurrected body. In which he's now sat at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling until God puts all his enemies under his feet. And until that day when we're gathered up with him and we also receive our resurrection bodies and live in the good of all that God has brought. But what about us? As we follow Christ, with this new heart beating in our chests, as we gather around Jesus and sit at his feet and he starts by the power of his spirit to change us from the inside out, we increasingly ourselves, as individuals and as the church look like the place where God's rule and reign is seen. Is that not one of the reasons that God puts a community called the church on this planet? To show what's it look like with God's ways are lived out? What's it look like to live in the good of all that God has done for us? And yes, as I have alluded to in my own life and As churches, we don't live there perfectly, do we? But it's a gift that God is transforming us as his heart beats in me individually and amongst us as community to increasingly transform us until the day when we see him face to face. And what I've only seen and glanced in a mirror dimly, I suddenly see clearly and I am changed and I am transformed and the body of Christ, the church becomes what it was always destined to become, the bride. Now radiant and glorious, demonstrating and showing all that God is about. What a future. But at least we've started. And so it's present. It's future. And we have hope in that future and certain. How can we be meek? Live with our brokenness and our mess? How can we put someone else above ourselves when we think it's about <clears throat> fighting for my way, scrapping with the person next to me to get up the ladder, acquiring more than my neighbor? Somehow I've got to take care of myself before anyone else. How can we live out the strength that we see in Jesus that somehow? Could come in on a donkey and put meekness as his attributes, as as his core passion on his CV. We do that because we know there's a future. We do that because we come to that place of trust in Father as Jesus did hanging on that cross. Because we know that our lives are in Father's hand. we do that because we know that even when we don't see, he is working. Even when we're confused, he's there doing his thing. We do it because we know that one day Jesus will return and put all things right. And so I can live meekly. I can live in a way that affirms the dignity of other people, that recognizes, as we heard, the image of God in everybody, that somehow goes, I'm not here to climb over you to get up the ladder, but I can recognize the image of God in you and defer to you because I know my life is in God's hands. As is your life, I'm able to live in that way as God helps me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, those who in spite of the mess and brokenness have received the changed heart that comes from the gift of the kingdom. They know it's not earned. They know it's gift. And because it's gift... They can create safety, welcome for all. Knowing they have nothing from which they can boast. Their mess doesn't disqualify them. In fact, awareness of their mess maybe even qualifies them because they start to see their own need and acknowledge it. They know they can bring... Their are into the light, knowing there's ongoing gift from God to bring about transformation and change. Those are the meek. The meek, those who are centred on Christ and with that certain future hope don't need to fight for light, don't need to grasp, acquire, oppress, manipulate but trust God enough to treat people well. Not to roll over as a doormat, that's not what meekness is. But to have the courage to show compassion, to give people dignity, to respect others, knowing that ultimately God is in control and their future is secure. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, the humble, those in need, those suffering with mental illness, those struggling with their finances because they know they need God. And in knowing God, they will inherit the earth. So my sabbatical came to an end. (coughs) We went, uh, Helen and I went off to a place called Feldybrenny, a prayer retreat place uh, on the west of Wales. I'd been there many years ago. Helen hadn't been there. And um, just before we went, I messaged Andy Wright, uh, the leader of Hub Church who prayed for me that my heart would burn. And that sabbatical had been great, really good time. But I said to him, I don't think my heart's burning yet. Can you keep praying? As we went to and it was, I don't know if you, what you think about this language, but it felt like a thin place. One of those places where it just felt easy to hear God. And suddenly we started to hear God again. And I got someone to write us a, um, a retreat program to, to, to work through and God began to speak. And on the headland at Feldebrennen, on one of the headlands, they have this cross that looks out over the valley incredibly, I found it incredibly powerful just to walk to that cross and find myself, as I think you did, I think it was you, just holding this cross. And we encountered Jesus. And the way I put it was, and I think it's still an ongoing thing, but felt like I'm starting to see again. I see all still aren't, still things I'm longing Jesus to do, but starting to see. And we enjoyed His presence and enjoyed just being there. at that place, there's no internet. <laughs> there's no TVs in your room. <laughs> in fact, you, your mobile reception is pretty rubbish. So you have to stop. If you're going to stop, you might as well pray, won't you? <laughs> spoke. Blessed are the meek. Not those who've got their lives together, but those as God shows them themselves through I <laughs> Sees what they're like and realise I need God. I need him. My family needs him. This situation needs him. I don't know how you're going to do it, God. I don't know what you're going to do. And there are times when I don't see what you're doing. And I don't even see that you're working. But I need you i'm going to live in hope of that eternity that one day you will come to pull all things right and that somehow whether i see the fulfillment of all my dreams and desires in this life or not my life is in your hands my family's life is in your hands my friend's life is in your hands and you will do what only you can do amen, amen. do you want to pray first yeah come on, let's pray Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Father, these things just seem (coughs) so unattainable. They are. But we thank you that you, by your Holy Spirit, come and gift us with your grace, your courage, your life, Give us the ability to treat others as you treat us. You put compassion in our hearts so we can share that with others. Jesus, we come this day again and ask for the gift of your Spirit that these would not be words we're reading in Matthew 5 that simply tickle our intellect, but these would go deep in our hearts. That actually they give us revelation of who you are, Father, who you are, Son, who you are, Holy Spirit, that yet again would be caught up in not some great philosophy, but in relationship with you, Jesus. we be won by you all over again. And we thank you that you don't stop winning us. That even when we go dry, even when we turn our backs, even when we walk away, even when we're like the prodigal and yet still keep coming to the gathering. <laughs> You don't turn your back on us. You go, just come. <coughs> I pray for any here this morning, Lord, who, like me, have been in that dry place and have not known what you're doing. Uh, look at the circumstances of their lives and wonder. Jesus, just open their eyes again. Help them start to see and start to hear. Let them sense your presence afresh as they continue to bring their mess, their brokenness. Let them find you right in the midst of it with them. I pray. So come, Holy Spirit, we do acknowledge our need of you. We know we can't do this on our own. Would you come? Thank you.